Ancient Radio begins in three, two, one. So it's not a sin in your church to have an abortion? That's the kind of conversation we would have finding out your story, where you're from. God's the judge. People have to live with their own conviction. The science is clear. The Bible is clear. And if we're honest, our intuitions are clear. We know what we're killing. We're killing a human being. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Hey, can you guess what I just did? Well, well not just, but the other night. No, Friel. Clue us in, would ya? This is Wretched Radio. Went to see a piece of music that somehow has been able to endure for centuries. And methinks we would be wise to ask the question, why? Why does Handel's Messiah continue to be an annual favorite? What makes it something that causes us to go, yeah, we need to hear that again. Here's a quick question for you. Name the top number one contemporary Christian worship song from 2012. Didn't think so. 2014, 16, 18, 20, last week. You can't. Why? Because they come and they go. But Handel's Messiah endures It continues to be something that we say is worthy of a lot of effort. I mean, listen to all the work that goes into this. Choir, orchestra, director. Was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I got to tell you something. You ain't seen the Messiah till you've been to Chattanooga, Tennessee at First Presbyterian Church, which is a glorious structure. And incidentally, I think there's even some stuff we can learn from churches of old, including their location. We were at the First Presbyterian Church, Chattanooga, listening to the Messiah. First Presbyterian was located right across the street from the Methodist Church, which was located across the street from the Catholic Church. And then you just take a little turn around the corner. Oh, there's the Lutheran Church. Why do we traditionally see clusters of churches in virtually every city or town in America? Well, the answer to that is because stupid old dead people who don't know nothing because they're not alive right now, they actually put some thought into the location of the church building. They wanted to make a statement. When you come into town in your horse and buggy, look up. The tallest structure is a cross on the end of a steeple, unless, of course, it's the Roman Catholic Church. Then it would be a rooster. The point is they thought about it. They wanted to say a word without speaking. Our churches are all gathered in the center of town, which means Christianity should be the center of this community. And so it was in downtown Chattanooga, which just continues to get groovier and groovier. I'm telling you, Chattanooga, like Greenville, South Carolina, it's becoming a must sort of town. The downtown area, it's revitalized. It's a foodie town. If you like eats, I'm telling you, they got some good cooking going on. And it was cooking on Saturday night at First Presbyterian Church when they performed Handel's Messiah. And I had to ponder, hmm, why are we still listening to this? (laughs) 
And I think we can deduce some things which should cause us to stretch when we consider what sort of music that we are presenting to the Lord on a Sunday morning, or frankly, even when we sing along in our cars, which is just about the only place you should sing along with contemporary Christian music, because not many people can sing like Chris Tomlin. We don't do music the way we once did. This is Handel's Messiah. This would be a very popular song, 2020, well, it was 2021 or 2022. <laughs> yeah. We seemed to have done a number on our music, haven't we? What's the difference between the two? Uh, well, I get it. One is a more contemporary sound, and we want to make sure that we don't make a law where there is no law. But doesn't Handel's Messiah say something? For your consideration, how's about this song from Handel and the Messiah? It says something. You're not going to like this commentary. That's just better music. <laughs> no, it's all subjective. You can have your preference, but verifiably, certifiably, you can say an orchestra. Don't panic. I'm not saying every church needs to have an orchestra. I'd like to, but I'm not going to. This is a music quality level that speaks. It says something lofty, high, exalted, otherly. And it quotes the Bible. Roar. <laughs> You've got a blending of lofty music with lofty singing with lofty lyrics. Why did they used to write music like that? And today, we tend to write music about lions roaring. They were thinking back then. They knew that music reflected God. When we are worshiping together, we are collecting as a body to say we are singing back praises to the creator, the redeemer, the one who is omnipotent and omniscient, the one who sustains everything by the word of his power. We're singing about him. And so the music was as lofty as they could make it. The lyrics were as biblical as they could make them. And the singing was of a level that said, we're doing something different here. We're not common. We're doing something that speaks a word. Here's another contemporary. This one's super popular, by the way. Let me sing together. Gotta have the mood music set. Great unknown, a she may fail. 
Okay, just put the lyrics aside for a moment. Consider the, the level of musicality here. And there I find you in the mystery In oceans deep My faith was thin Come on, you make it your prayer. Okay, that's one form of music. Here's another form of music, and it speaks a different word, doesn't it? Ah. <laughs> There's a wee bit of a difference. Why does Handel's Messiah endure? Perhaps it is because the elements of worship that I personally think should be the goal of every worship service. We sound different. Our music is as lofty as we can make it. Let me just repeat that even louder than I just did. Our music should be as lofty as we can make it. I'm not saying that it needs to sound like this. Wouldn't be bad if it did, but... But every church should be striving to produce music that speaks a loftier word. That means we can have different cultural expressions. That means we can have different instrumentation. That means that we can have a different style of music. But if we're going to learn anything from Chattanooga, Tennessee, besides the fact they've got a lot of great restaurants, maybe we should we should give some props to the dead guys. Our culture thinks that anybody who came before us has nothing to offer. I, I, I think they do. And I think the reason that in a hundred years of the Lord tarries, that people will still be standing for Handel's Messiah and not singing along to oceans or let the lion raw or is because there was some thought behind it. All this to say before you put together your worship service, before you decide, hey, this is what we're doing on Sunday for church, ask perhaps some different questions. For whom are we doing this? Why are we doing this? What does the worship service say if a pagan parachuted in and saw what we were doing? Would they think it is common or, or would they think that it is lofty and that we're singing about a God who is transcendent. And then, based on the talent of your local church, the means that you have, you put together a worship service that can indeed reflect the times, but it should be guided by a desire to have worship that actually reflects the character and the nature of God. And I got to tell you, this is about as close as you're going to get. This is Wretched Radio. If and you don't mind me saying so, I resonate with this sentiment from Dan Steiner of Preborn Ministries. To be able to look across America and see this Holocaust of abortion and know that people like you are doing something about it. It's one thing to say that we're against abortion, but it's really another to take action. Do you resonate? 
With that sentiment, then please consider supporting Preborn Ministries. Ultrasounds save lives. For $28, you will be providing an ultrasound that 80% of the time causes the mother to choose life. That's really doing something. May I ask, how many babies' lives could you save for $28 each? Preborn Ministries also preaches the gospel to the mommies and the daddies. And you can learn more at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Most of you who listen often know just how much of a germaphobe Todd is. So you know that it's practically impossible to experience something like a warm hug from the freakishly tall guy. Even for me. Until now, that is. The Wretched 50-50 sale is happening right now through the end of the year at wretched.org slash sale. And there you'll find that Wretched products have been reduced by 50%. And when you spend $50 or more, you'll receive a free copy of Transform Season 1 while supplies last, plus free shipping. It's an amazing deal that's virtually just like a warm hug from Todd, which... Trust me, is better than a real hug anyway, because then you'd have to stand in a chair and it's kind of awkward and you're not going to save any money. But the Wretched 50-50 sale is not awkward at all. And it's going on right now at Wretched.org slash sale. That's Wretched.org slash sale. 200. That's right. 200 Tomorrow Clubs are now up and running again in Ukraine. That means kids are hearing the gospel. They're getting saved. Their parents are getting saved. The church is getting strengthened. Not only are the Tomorrow Clubs busy preaching the gospel, they're also very busy helping people. This is our buddy Max in Ukraine. We have created the Ukraine Support Fund. Thanks to our partners, Tomorrow Clubs began immediate assistance to the network of the local churches that became a safe place for thousands of refugees fleeing their devastated homes. Providing food, providing clothing, potable water, a safe place, communication. Would you please consider becoming a ministry partner of the amazing ministry called Tomorrow Clubs? You can learn how you could participate in the spreading of the gospel in Eastern Europe at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Know your reformers. Martin Luther was a German monk and professor who was plagued with doubt about his salvation. When he finally read the Bible for himself, he rediscovered the doctrine of justification by grace through faith. His bold witness for biblical truth was the spark that ignited the Protestant Reformation. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. As long as you're already agitated, this is Wretched Radio. Did I mention I was just in Chattanooga? That's in Tennessee. I don't think there's another Chattanooga, Friel. Well, sometimes there's like Cleveland, Tennessee. There's Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, yeah. There's a Cleveland, Georgia. If I were emperor, I'd put a stop to that. If you can't come up with an original name for your town, you should move to another place. Just... You should be able to do that. But I'm not the emperor, because if I were, I would be inclined to impose my understanding of what Christian worship should be. And I think that we can understand that there are certain things that should guide us in worship, but we don't want to become strict legalists. 
My church worship doesn't need to sound exactly like yours and vice versa, but there should be some thought put into the service. Not just, okay, we need a fast song now? All right, they've been standing for how many songs? Okay, let's have them sit down then for the reading of the word, which is kind of flipped in my estimation. Nevertheless, let's maybe be asking some bigger questions. And those questions started to pop into my brain in Chattanooga, Tennessee, when I visited something that should encourage you. I have to tell you, the Lord has been kind to me as of late because we see so much bibbity-bobbity going on in Christian church services, the silliness, our culture is crumbling, all values are being rewritten, we're living in an inverted reality where this is that and that is now this. But I've recently been doing some traveling, and I've ended up at churches that are not just big, but they're sound worship centers that you might try by and go, oh, that must be a whoop-de-doo fest in there. They're not. Um, I'm thinking about Carl Brogy's church. Massive facility in South Carolina, Beaufort, South Carolina, to be specific. And it's a great church, theologically sound. And it is full of Bible-believing Christians. Jimmy, I was up at Foothills. Yes. In, in the it's located in the foothills, if I'm not mistaken. Marble Hills. What? The Marble Hills. What do you? That's the name of the town, Marble Hills, Georgia. But the, your church is Foothills Baptist. The, foothills Community Church. Oh, sorry about yeah. that. Yeah. You're not Baptist. <laughs> You're a community. That's right. Uh, no, I think we mentioned this last week. Non-denominational churches now outpace denominations, including the Southern Baptist Convention. On Sunday, I was at another big church pulled up and I was like, get out of town. Cause I looked him up like you do when you travel. Is there a good church around? Saw a place called Concord Baptist in Chattanooga and went, that'll do pig. So we went to it and I pulled up and it's like, whoa, they got it going on here. And one of the things that they had going on inside of the service that caused me to think again about what we do in worship was the advent candle. Do you do one of those in your church? It's peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's what the candles represent. You say, well, what is the peanut butter and... No, it's peanut butter and strawberry jelly sandwich. Yeah, peanut butter... For real, if you can't even remember the acronym, peanut butter and strawberry jam, which is better than jelly, incidentally. That's what it stands for. I, I know, I can't remember each one either, but I looked it up. So the first advent candle in the wreath, purple symbolizing hope, also known as the p -p 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 prophecy. There's your peanut, as in peanut butter. Second advent, purple candle, symbolizes faith, also known as the p -p -p Bethlehem candle. There would be your B. Third candle is ordinarily pink and represents joy. Fourth candle is purple, marks the last week of advent as we anticipate the birth of our Savior. They had an advent candle. It was interesting to me that they did not light it during the service. And I suspect the reason is they liked the symbolism of it, but they didn't want to include it in a regulatively principled worship service where we only have elements of worship that the Bible says, yeah, that's, that's what I want in the worship service. Most churches 
I have to confess, I strive for regulative, but I think that some normative is inevitably going to be involved in a worship service. But regulative basically says we're going to have the elements that God has said he wants in his worship service. Normative says, no, you can add some stuff if you want to. And one of the things that we added probably in the fourth or fifth century, give or take, was the Advent candle. Now, you might not dig the symbolism. You might think it's too high churchy. You might think it's Roman Catholic, and it kind of is, but Anglicans use it, Lutherans use it, some evangelicals use it, because it says something. It teaches us, and it reminds us that Advent is a season that is something that we should consider instead of just making December the month of Christmas. Honestly, isn't that kind of the way we do it these days? We do after Thanksgiving, maybe even before. If you've got some people who are really bothering the worship leader about Christmas carols, we start doing Christmas music, and then the pastor has to come up with ways to make it Christmassy for a month. Maybe, just maybe, don't panic. We might do well to at least take the ideas behind the original intention of Advent and start appropriating them. Does that mean that we want to become a stodgy liturgical church? I don't think so. Does that mean we need to be strict adherents of a church calendar bound by the pericopes, the readings, the themes? No, I don't think that's wise, but I don't think it's wise to just cast aside everything that our ancestors thought was important. Advent was a was a celebration that included more than Christmas. Did you know the first two weeks of Advent, the church would reflect on the second coming? And so people would chasten their hearts, confess their sins, spend time hoping for the quick coming of the Lord. The last two weeks of Advent would then transition to focus on the first coming, Christ in the manger. Now, This celebration began, the Advent calendar began early church time, made its way throughout the Middle Ages. It was a time for fasting and giving things up. It wasn't about food and gifts and desserts. It was about something else. Most celebrations had a twin focus, the first or the second coming and then the first coming. And they would actually have readings that led us to feel at least a little bit like the Jewish people should have been feeling when their Messiah came. Oh, come the long-expected prophet, the longing of the heart, an Advent calendar, and I'm not saying to be strict about it necessarily. You can if you want to, but just consider this. This is just an old hymnal that I grabbed. The first Sunday in Advent, the intro it. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul, O my God, I trust in thee. What's the intro? It's the introduction, if you will. Then the collect is, is, is spoken. Stir up, we beseech you. It's a prayer. And then you read Romans 13, 11 through 14 for the first week in Advent. In other words, they put some thought into this to have you thinking about different aspects of the Lord returning to this earth. And then... The collect was to collect your thoughts and to focus the service. And then it would go into the gradual. What's a gradual? It's from the Latin word, which means steps, which means that the individual would do a reading 
from the epistles or perhaps from the Old Testament on a step. And so that was thought out, too. Now you're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not put shackles on a church service. Okay, but should we not at least put some thought into it? Shouldn't there be some thinking of an overarching story? We tend to forget that, don't we? We don't do that even inside of a worship service. We fail to do that oftentimes inside of a sermon. What are What is the meta-narrative of every sermon? It should be law gospel. Now, it's going to look different, and sometimes it's going to be a little bit more veiled than other times, but the overarching theme should be law gospel. And the same thing is true for the church service, law gospel. And might I suggest the same thing would be true for the church calendar year. Now, in this particular hymnal, I think it reveals how you can get tied up in knots. So here's the church calendar, calendar in an old hymnal, Advent Sunday, four weeks. Then there's on December 21st, St. Thomas the Apostle. Then there's Christmas Day. Then there's St. Stephen the Martyr, St. John Apostle the Evangelist, the Holy Innocence, the Circumcision in the name of Jesus. We're just to January 1st. Okay, it can become a little bit much, but maybe just maybe as you and I may be planning for next year because it might be a little late (laughs) this year. We start going back, not because we want to return to a better time, but because we want to glean the good stuff that perhaps we've jettisoned along the way that maybe the effect is we're losing out. You're maybe, maybe getting, you just have to get it whipped up. You got, oh, it's Christmas again. Okay, I'm going to get some joy for Christmas. Well, what if there was some sort of thought that went into an Advent season leading up to Christmas that caused you to rejoice? Emmanuel on Christmas Day. Just food for thought. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. The government of New Zealand has officially admitted that it does indeed have partner access to Facebook's controversial content takedown portal. The portal is designed specifically for government agencies to flag content to Facebook for censorship. Most other governments have not admitted that they have access to these portals. However, last year, the White House did admit that the United States Surgeon General's office is flagging posts for Facebook to censor. How much longer will free speech actually be free. So Hillary Clinton was on PBS last week and she actually did say this. Literally under attack in uh, places like Iran or Afghanistan or Ukraine where rape is a tactic of war or under attacks by political and cultural forces in a country like our own when it comes to uh, women's health care and uh, bodily autonomy. So now Hillary Clinton says saving babies from abortion is like soldiers raping women. Those two things, Miss Clinton, are most definitely nothing alike. So a traditional Christmas dinner is likely going to be out of the financial reach of many this holiday season, especially in Britain where wages have stagnated, but food costs have risen by as much as 20% as Britain also faces an inflation crisis. Some of the items, like turkey and pork, have risen around 20%, while the base cost of ingredients needed for cranberry sauce is reportedly up as much as 33%. 
And considering that wages in the country have risen only by an average of 5.7%, the world's definition of what it means to celebrate Christmas is going to likely be unaffordable for those in the UK. According to a Fox News report, a teacher in Louisiana posted on Facebook about how confusing students regarding gender identity was enjoyable. The teacher is a music teacher at University Elementary School in Shreveport, Louisiana, who uses the term MX as opposed to Mr. or Miss. The teacher wrote, quote, the kids are all confused and asking why I have a mustache if I'm a girl. If I'm a girl, why am I trying to look like a boy? I'm just ignoring those questions or redirecting so I don't get into trouble. I'm mostly just enjoying the confusion about what I am. There are just some people that should not be allowed in the classroom around kids, period. And I'm pretty sure this is an example of one of those people. Late last month, Muslim extremists burned down a house where fellowship was taking place in eastern Uganda a week after Muslims in another area caned two converts. The two were beaten with a cane for converting from Islam to Christianity in October. As we tell you so frequently here at Wretched, please make sure that you continue praying for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters abroad. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Important dates in Christian history. 1540. The Society of Jesus is approved by the Vatican. Founded by Ignatius Loyola, the Jesuit order sent out zealous missionaries throughout the world, counteracting the Reformation and bringing Roman Catholic Christianity to the Americas. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Uh, huh. And you think, I'm the only one who does this, do ya? This is Wretched Radio, how we do church. It says something. If it's formal... It speaks a word. If it is casual, it says something. My encouragement is to do a worship service in your zip code with the resources you have that answer some questions. Who is the God that we are worshiping? What are the elements that he wants in this worship service? And what is our worship service saying to one another, to guests, and to God? Because worship services speak. Now, I think we should do everything we can in the context of our local church, based on the resources that we have, to do the loftiest music that we can. Not common. We don't have a common God. We have a God who is high and exalted. Sure, he's imminent, but he's transcendent to be sure. He's still a consuming fire. And our worship should say something about that God. And you think, well, you're kind of, you're putting restrictions on the service. I got to tell you, people who do casual music are doing the same thing. Why do you think they do it? They actually put some thought into it, incidentally. We, we just decided, oh, all that old church calendar business, order of service, liturgy, just get ready. We, we need to be up to speed. So we put some thought into jettisoning it, but the big mega concerts and the big mega churches that draw people because of the moody music, they put some thought into it. People dig this. It gets them into a mood. They feel euphoric with the repetition and with the synthesized music. And we don't want to make it too high and lofty because, well, people are stupid. So we want to dumb it way down and we want them to have a feeling and experience God. In other words, they think about what they're saying. They, I just think they're 
asking all the wrong questions and, of course, therefore answering all of the wrong questions and turning it into a worship service that is not regulated by God and doesn't speak a loftier word. So don't you think that I'm just being, well, you got to think about your worship service. The, the, the silly centers do it. Are you kidding? You want to talk about orchestrated? You want to talk about liturgical? Now, when I say liturgy, I don't mean we begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy. I'm talking about any order or structure to a church service. They have it, but they do it based on mood. All right, we want to get people excited at the beginning. So that's why you get the good morning, church. You get them pumped up. So we start out with the Beatles, you know, something contemporary and cool like that. We get them whipped up, and then we want to bring it down. And then we maybe want to bring it back up, but not too much before the pastor gets out because he's the star of this show. They're putting some thought into what is the mood of the service. We should be putting thought into what does this service say? What are we speaking about God? For your consideration, a little overview of the regulative versus normative principle of worship. I thought GodQuestions.org did a pretty fine job, as they tend to do, into bringing down a big idea into pretty accessible language. And we want to make sure that even as we tussle through this stuff, that we don't impose my preferences on other people and vice versa, but we should at least consider what people used to consider. Pretty much everything used to be the regulative principle. You, you didn't see pastors ziplining down to the altar during the Reformation because they would say, well, that's not what God says should be in the worship service. So we were regulated for centuries. It's only recently has the contemporary church cast off the regulations that the Lord has set down and decided, well, no, we're doing church that makes us happy. Here is the difference. The regulative principle of worship maintains that Scripture gives specific guidelines for conducting corporate worship services and that churches must not add anything to those guidelines. Now, I have to confess, I've never seen a church do that perfectly, but for my money, which isn't much, but for my money, striving toward just having the elements that God has indicated in His Word are the components that He wants in a worship service It'll keep you out of the weeds, that's for sure. The normative principle is the idea that anything not expressly forbidden by Scripture can be used in corporate worship. God didn't say you can't zip line into the church, so go ahead and zip line, which, by the way, is one of the dangers of the normative principle. Here are some strengths, however, of the regulative principle first. It seeks to honor God, and it seeks to honor His Word. It keeps the focus on God-centered worship rather than man-pleasing activity. It effectively eliminates worldliness or elements with pagan roots that have been given a Christian flair. So we only do what God says to do, which would actually mean we don't have to do Christmas. That's not dictated in the Bible. We, we do it, and I think it's perfectly fine that we do as long as Satan... I mean, Santa isn't the center of the, of the season, but I think it's perfectly fine to do it, but it's not demanded in the Bible, nor is Easter. 
All we see in the New Testament is that they assembled on Resurrection Sunday as the body. We let the Bible regulate, which means it should, for the most part, eliminate worldliness. It consults the Bible rather than popular opinion. One weakness, however, of the regulative principle is that it can easily become legalistic in its strict rejection of anything not found in the Bible. So you can't do an Advent candle because, hey, it's not in the Bible. Well, I I think you can. I, I know it tends to have Roman Catholic roots, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to have something that is a teaching tool, because that's what an Advent candle is. It reminds us of certain things. So we want to make sure that we don't become legalists. I think that we can go overboard. I think my estimation, and I don't think they were stupid, they were trying to be regulated by God, is that we made the the calendar year, the church calendar year, just a bit too restrictive, just a little bit too on the, it becomes predictable too, incidentally, that, that you've got every year, we just do the same stuff every, now, I think there's huge benefit to at least studying old church calendars without becoming legalists about it. I think we need to watch that propensity. Regarding the regulative principle, it can also place worship in a category saved only for corporate settings rather than encourage it as a daily practice. Got to watch out for that. It also does not account for many aspects of a worship service not dealt with in the Bible, such as the length of the service, instruments used, how much technology should be employed, and a ton of contemporary considerations. So it does have its limitations. The normative principle can include things like drama, special music, movie clips, PowerPoint presentations, because they're not forbidden in the Bible. And so the people who support the normative principle point out that every church and culture expresses worship differently, even during biblical times. And I agree with that, which is why every church doesn't need to sound the same. That's the predictability of the Islamic religion. It's locked in the seventh century. Christianity isn't. It, 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 it can have different expressions based on culture. So the sound of worship in Africa is going to be different than in America or India or any place else for that matter. And we need to allow for that. As we seek to let God regulate the service, we have to recognize he's not a conformist in every regard. The normative principle people, they would say, we got to allow some flexibility. The Bible, when it comes to worship services, wasn't meant to be a list of rules. What are the strengths of the normative principle, there are some strengths to it. It encourages creative expressions of worship through arts and technology. Now, you might not like that, but it does encourage that. It creates a more relaxed and relevant environment, which I think is the question. that Why do we want it relaxed and relevant? We're doing something that is formal and transcendent. We're meeting with God. It allows for differences in taste and style, but some weaknesses. It opens the door to worldliness. It can also tend toward entertainment-based gatherings rather than the pure worship of God. It can slide toward a man-centered focus, incorporating whatever is popular with the congregation. And so it has 
some challenges. Might I suggest the following principles are regulated in the Bible that should be a part of every church service. Yes, I said it. Reading the Bible, preaching the Bible, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, prayer, the two ordinances, baptism, and Lord's Supper. If we aren't letting God determine how he wants his worship service to be run, we'll neglect those. I see a prayer is so neglected in church services these days. The reading of the word is just a drive-by for so many. Let's at least, in our very advanced technological age, let's take a look back and see how some of our smart ancestors did things and, and maybe just ask some questions about how we're worshiping today. This is Wretched Radio. So there you are on your Googler machine trying to find a restaurant. What do you look for? Ratings and reviews. If it gets lots of stars, positive reviews, chances are pretty good you're going to go there. Question, would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98% approval rating and rave reviews? I suspect you would. MetaShare, Affordable Biblical Health Sharing, has a 98% approval rating. 400,000 members strong, sharing one another's health care bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month. And 98% of the members of MediShare give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. When was the last time you visited Wretched.org, where you spend time perusing all that's available there? Like the full 60-minute Wretched Radio episodes or the full 30-minute Wretched TV episodes. You can also see Todd's speaking schedule, sign up for the Wretched newsletter, and find out just how you could become a Wretched Gospel Partner. Everything we do here at Wretched is only possible because of the efforts of our Gospel Partners. If you're not presently a Gospel Partner, would you prayerfully consider becoming one? Right now through the end of the year is literally the best time for you to do that. Through the efforts of some very generous gospel partners every single dollar you donate now through years end will be matched so i want to encourage you to pray about becoming a wretched gospel partner you can get answers to any questions that you could possibly have at wretched.org donate that's wretched.org donate wretched amazing grace amazing gospel hmm, something is happening in the philippines wait i know what it is jesus is building his church please meet pastor kitu espiritu from the master's academy international in the philippines your support allows us to fill pulpits and transform lives pastors are being equipped to rightly divide the truth people in the philippines are hearing the truth rightly preached and coming to know the saving grace of jesus christ jesus is on the march in the philippines Souls are being saved, churches are being built, and yet there are too many empty pulpits. And that is where you come in. Would you please consider filling an empty pulpit in the Philippines so that people can hear the word rightly divided? The Masters Academy International training pastors to do just that in the Philippines and 17 other nations. To learn more, please visit wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. 
books of the Bible. Haggai was a prophet around the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. When the efforts to rebuild the temple had stopped, Haggai encouraged the people to continue and reminded them of God's presence among them and the importance of assembling together to worship. When you consider your priorities, give careful attention to the worship of God. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. How might your principles be regulated? This is Wretched Radio. There's basically two ways of doing a church service. You can do it the normative way, which says if the Bible doesn't forbid it, you can do it. Or you can let God regulate your worship service by reading through your Bible, identifying the elements that God says, I like this. I'm not nuts about ziplining pastors into the worship service. He doesn't say that he doesn't like that, but he identifies the stuff that he does like. The normative principle allows for zip lining. The regulative principle actually regulates it. So how do you do that? I was reading an article in the Cripplegate website, always worth a visit, thecripplegate.com. And the headline of this particular article is, Our God Reigns, the Foundation of Christian Conviction. They focused on one aspect, if you will, of God, but God doesn't have aspects or parts, but they were focusing on an attribute, if you will, that he's the king and that he rules. And that is the basis for your convictions as a Christian. But I might suggest to you, it could also be applied to the regulative principle of worship. We're worshiping the God who reigns. Do you think the music at the coronation of Charles is going to be casual. Now, maybe the parties afterwards when no doubt they'll drag out Paul McCartney, maybe roll out Mick Jagger. But for the coronation ceremony, the service, I can assure you it will not be street level. That Anglican service, it's going to be high. There's going to be an instrument. Not everybody's nuts about it. I don't understand why. But the pipe organ will be blaring because you don't hear the pipe organ on the radio typically. It's a different instrument for, for a different function, which is the worship of God. That's why we have pipe organs in great cathedrals and churches. We want something that says, our God reigns. So for your consent, this is going to be kind of a twofer. This will apply to your Christian convictions, and it might just apply to how you consider doing the worship service. And incidentally, if I could do a shout out, if you've happened, there might be somebody who has been amening just about everything that I've been saying because you've wanted your church to have a different style of worship, some liturgy, some to some degree, some sort of church calendar. Uh, don't, don't go in like a pit bull. Go to work on it if you want to, but don't get angry at people. Most folk, we just don't think about these things very much because we've jettisoned everything. So deal with the people that you love in your church gently and patiently. They'll get there. Our God reigns the foundation of Christian conviction. It is a reality that changes everything. When you wake up in the morning, you do not wake up to a world that is void of purpose. Well, isn't that interesting? Our God reigns, gives us purpose. Okie dokie, I'm in a kingdom. I've got a king. I'm in service to the king. That means what I'm doing is important here. 
and you say, it's not. I make shoelaces. Um, I got to tell you, shoelaces are pretty important. If you don't have them, your shoes fall off your feet. You're serving God by serving God's people. And when you do it as unto the Lord, you are doing something that is transcendent, that is otherly. We need to be the best workers, not the worst workers. We're not the slackers. We're not the quiet quitters. We're the ones who put our nose to the grindstone, whatever that means. And we work hard because it has purpose. You've got a crummy boss. It don't make no never mind. You've got a, you've got a boss who's just never encouraging. We still work hard. Why? Because our God reigns. And we're doing work unto him, not just the boss. Back to the article. When you go throughout your day, there are no accidental conversations or interactions. Why? Because our God reigns. Our God reigns, guides so much of what we do. The world right now, I just read another statistic. Like half the kids, the Gen Zs, say that they are suffering from mental illness. And over 50% say loneliness is a big deal, which I find fascinating considering everybody has a cell phone in their hand or back pocket, and yet they're lonely. Why? Because it's not human. It's not the way we were built. Those should be little tools, but they're not our community. With all due respect to Mark Zuckerberg, we need people for that. Our God reigns. It reminds us what we are doing, how we are acting, what we are thinking. All is driven by that one sentiment. You do not go to bed without hope because our God reigns. And that is the hope the world is lacking. They're lonely. They're frightened. They don't think that anything is stable anymore. The stock market, it's up, it's down. Home values, it's a woo, woo, woo. And the, what about the interest rates and the future? And, well, if, you're, if you believe everything that you read on social media, what about that global warming? Everything is just penny, penny. The house is falling down. Our God reigns, brings stability. It brings hope. It brings community that even if you are not around other people, your God is also your friend. He is nearer than a brother. He never leaves. He never forsakes. In other words, what the world needs now isn't love, sweet love. It needs Jesus Christ is what it needs to fulfill all of their needs. All Christian convictions flow out from this truth and are connected to the reality that God reigns. Now, consider the world's convictions. This, this might be a little bit convicting. We take a look at liberals and we go, Duh. but just consider how sold out they are. Consider how fervent they are about their beliefs. They've got them. Does this world potentially have more conviction over its sinful causes than we do for Jesus Christ and his word? Ah, that should pull each and every one of us up short. Why is it that they are determined to kill babies in the womb, and to, to mangle marriage, to mangle children's bodies? They're, they're into it, man. Do we reflect that same intensity of belief and conviction? Our God reigns, will give it to us. Is the world more passionate about seeking to fabricate what gender is than we are about proclaiming the truth that God made them male and female? In other words, don't grow weary 
Is the world more passionate about proclaiming that marriage is a union between any group of people, regardless of gender, than we are about proclaiming what marriage truly is, the union of one man and one woman under God? Is the world more concerned with murdering children than we are with saving them? They have convictions. They're earnest. We should be, too. And the knowledge that God is reigning over everything. Well, just consider what that does for us when we consider the convictions of the pagans. Oh, what they want to do is just, oh, God reigns. He's got this. He's in the heavens. He's doing whatever he pleases. And what God ordains is always good. Okay, I'm cool. Back to the article. In the, is the world more excited about living for sin than we are about displaying righteousness? I know the card that just got slapped down. Legalist. Pharisee. No, it's not. Legalism is adding to salvation. You got to do this in order to be saved. But encouraging that we strive for righteousness. That's not legalism. That's Christianity. Is the world more concerned about promoting all sorts of false religions and means of salvation than we are with the gospel. You have to admit right now the world is winning. And when I say the world, I don't mean the cosmos. I don't mean the people on the planet. I mean the world system. A secular humanist worldview is winning virtually every debate, every single argument that's being, they're just knocking down Christian values like dominoes. Why are they winning? Are we not proclaiming the gospel as fervently and as intensely as they promote licentiousness? That should convict us. Our conviction should be infinitely stronger than that of the world because our God reigns. And isn't that the message of the book of Revelation? Isn't that the message of Isaiah's vision? That God reigns. Let that comfort you. Let that keep you from feeling lonely. Let that keep you from growing weary. Let that keep you from thinking that your job is, oh. What did Paul say in Colossians? You you got a bad master? Work like crazy for that guy. D uh, why? Why should we do such a thing? Our God reigns. And what's the effect there's purpose in our lives. There's purpose in the raising of children. Stay-at-home mom, you're exhausted. The world tells you, you mean you actually change your children's diapers and you homeschool them? Yeah, because our God reigns. And my homeschooling and my changing of diapers and my blowing of noses has eternal consequence. Why? Because our God reigns reigns. Oh, that we were as convicted with the conviction that our God reigns as the pagans are with the thought that he doesn't. Until tomorrow, go serve your king.